The following program's views, claims, or representations may not reflect those of AM 1420 The Answer or Salem Media Group. When it comes to your investments and retirement, in this economy, it's important to be smart. And with the Smart Investor Hour heard right here on AM 1420 The Answer, you'll get both smart and intelligent information you'll need to help with your investing. So sit back, listen, and learn with your host of the Smart Investor Hour, Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Good afternoon, everybody. I think I'm on <clears throat> today. Let's start out positively. I long to accomplish great and noble tasks, but it's my chief duty and joy to accomplish humble tasks as though they were great and noble. I don't know if I'm back on or not. <laughs> uh, anyway, strength and growth can come only through continuous effort and struggle. So just remember that part. And then one final one. In a serious struggle, to be the magnanimous at an appropriate time. All right. Uh, if uh, if you would, or that I'm live here or not, but you know, if you go to WHK fourteen twenty AM, their web page, and go to local podcast down to the Smart Investor Show and Tim Hayes. Uh, you can go right to my web page and any of the things you hear on this show, like our dividend growth portfolio, which I've sent a lot of those out lately, uh, the prime income list, uh, another really highly 4.4% uh, yield as of now. You can get our ADR list, our top ideas, our uh, multi-capitalization uh, portfolio small cap in it. Also our ADR list, because uh, I noticed in the, the Morgan Stanley corporate index has been picking up, and that's the larger out there, and the small cap side. So we'll just leave it at that. And uh, uh, like I said, I don't know if uh, we're on or not, so we'll we'll try to work from here. Um, you know, a couple things I thought were interesting. The FAO food price index averaged 113.3 points in January, seven points. 4.3%, by the way, higher than December in 2020. Not only making uh, marking the eighth month of so registering its highest, highly, highest monthly average since 2014. That's kind of interesting. The other thing I saw in the commodity area is com copper rose above $9,000 a metric ton for the first time uh, since 2011. Uh, <clears throat> so, there's a tightness in the world supply right now, so it should be interesting coming up here. And here's one that's interesting. The top 10 hedge funds managers in the world earned $20.1 billion last year. That was according to Institutional Investor, by the way. So uh, uh, there you go. Um, you know, the, the one more thing I, I'd like to talk about, you know, payment systems uh, was something that I, I talked about a while back, and I, I just wanted everybody to – you know, we have a really in the pace scenario, and I think uh, uh, digital dollars are going to be important coming up. And I've talked about that in the past. But look at what occurs, uh, you know, with, with a transaction. If the retail transaction is dollars, uh, and and the merchant, you know. Uh, that uses the card, the credit card, gets a dollar of it, 71 cents goes to the issuer, 18 cents goes to the merchant acquirer, 
three cents goes to the merchant processor, and then eight cents goes to the network. So uh, when a retailer sells an item like that, one dollar or two and a half percent goes to the is a merchant discount. Okay, so now it could get could be up to four uh, percent of that. So there's some other digital ecosystems. You know, we believe that other players stand to reap some big benefits from. Uh, you know, you know the big ones, but uh, we do have some uh, really good research on, uh, you know, the um, the cryptocurrencies. Well, not not so much the cryptocurrencies, but the uh, the the pay. We'll call it the uh, technology pay system. Okay, uh, for anybody who would, you know, I was reading an article uh, by about uh, Mr. Gunlock at. Uh, uh, one of our favorite mutual funds, Double Line, and uh, Jeffrey thinks that inflation could hit four percent this year. That, that'd be uh, that'd be a big number, and I think it would just it, it would enlighten a lot of people coming up here. You know, Tom Lee had a great article in Barron's this week, and he talked about seven reasons why you should stay right and buy the dips. It said Washington is moving forward with a, a uh, with passing a large fiscal pa- package and. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has made a forceful case for it. Um, she scares me a little bit, but uh, the Federal Reserve has been vocal in its policy stance. You know, last week uh, the minutes affirmed it that the Fed is going to be patient. And then number three was the U.S. economy is re- reopening, and the economic momentum is so it's really strong, so strong uh, that the chief economist over J.P. Morgan says the U.S. V-shaped recovery will soon surpass China's. Wow. Uh, Number four, there's a substantial perception gap between policymakers, media, and the COVID-19 realized data. And a closing of this gap is positive for risk assets, by the way. You know, millennials are steadily allocating assets towards equities, and the surges in retail brokerage accounts openings is evidence of this. It's interesting, you know, opened 320,000 accounts last month and closed 160. So I don't know exactly how you score that, but... Bonds are becoming less attractive total return vehicles as, look, we haven't had inflation. You know, we've been in a deflationary situation since the early 80s. And now that we've had this 40-year bull market, you know, bond prices go down, meaning your principal goes down as yields go up. So that's something, uh, you know, if, if inflation goes up, you know, bonds are a deflationary asset. You could get hammered. You be careful with that. Remember, Ginny May funds. You know, they are the opposite. They're, they're an inflation-based fund, and they get killed, and they never came back. <laughs> uh, people were buying those in the early 80s because they had 14 15% yields. And this is something I talked about on the show before, but this out. The CBOE volatility index, i.e. the fear index, the VIX, has been above 23 for two years. It broke below there Friday. So... Uh, that's something to think about. And, and, uh, look, I I guess the big question is, will the fed twist the yield curve and the continuing U S economy has stoked concerns that inflation could drive interest rates higher, but a more complicated picture may be coming into focus. And and you have to examine the long-term forces in play and the fed's policy options. The continuing global rise in interest rates has a strong foundation in the market's growth expectations. So as, a, as the economic data improves and the rising vaccine rates reduce demand for low-risk government 
we think that the move could be sustainable. And I mean, look, we broke 160, and I was I was worried about that. We broke through it hard uh, on Friday, and I think that could mean we go to two percent on the ten year. Now, we got to remember that that's where we started from last year at about this time. Okay, so getting back into the you know normalcy. All right, so you got to remember that too. So uh, something to think about. Um, by the way, interest rates rise. I think the, one of the most Actionable places to be, uh, and Laura Cal, uh, Calvacina says the same thing. Who's she's our head strategist, by the way. You know, banks have not been able to make any money. Remember, the Fed gave them a half a percentage point for just keeping reserves intact. Okay, out there, they had all these banks just making a half percent. You know, they're they're they weren't making a lot of money, but they weren't losing it. Okay, banks love that. But now their spread is one and a quarter points to one and a half points. Now it starts making sense for. Not only do we have the Fed pouring money into the into the system, the government uh, pouring money into the system. But what happens if start to lend money? That is what we call a money multiplier, folks. That's how money is created in our system. Things could get interesting, but the banks will be making more money, I think. Uh, so that's one way. If you notice, the regional banks are popping up on my scopes left and right, and the big banks have made a move. Same with the, you know, and same with the big brokerage firms too, because they're lent, they they are basically banks now. Okay, so that's a very actionable idea, I think, at this point. And uh, I just think the financial sector should be at least market rated uh, in in your scenario. Once again, this is a live show, so if you have a question, uh, the number here is two one six. 901-0945. That's 216-901-0945. You got a question. So uh, Lori Calcivina this week kind of took on the, the technology area and she did a test temperature check is what she called it. So look, uh, if you look at top-down indicators, you think that the big unwind and big tech stocks isn't done yet. Um, there's some stocks that are starting to crack. You know, some stocks that were big on the you know stay-at-home thing uh, are starting to crack. Uh, <clears throat> she does see opportunity in mid-caps, which have more exposure to, you know, cyclicals in the telecommunications, internet, uh, media, and telecom group. Okay. So, uh, you know, she suspects that the pain in the big tech is not done yet. So anything that they've been going sideways to down a little bit. Uh, remember Apple, you know, Apple kind of broke its uptrend line, uh, you know, short-term uptrend line just last week. Over the past few weeks, we have been seeing the reflation trades have more room to run, noting that the U.S. equities remain cheap versus, uh, I'll say the, the, the value equities remain cheap versus U.S. equities. Growth continues to look over, all right? And, and if you look, value and small stats, uh, caps still look cheap. A lot of the small caps are not going down as much as the large caps. Uh, in the large caps areas, the financials, the materials, the energies, they don't look expensive yet. Okay. And if we had a correction, that would be, be better. Uh, probably not right the next couple of days, but, you know, and, and I think the related question is whether the un, unwinding the big tech names, a key source of funding for the relation, reflation trades has. And look, our work suggests that uh, the positioning suggests that big tech 
fintech may may, uh, may unwind quite a bit more. All right, so uh, think about that for a while. But you know what she does is she relies on data from uh, asset managers and stuff like that. What are they buying? What are they selling? And it, it seems that they're they are you know um, selling more of the big big uh, equ- uh, technology names anyway. So keeping a close eye on tech, internet, media, and telecom valuations within the S&P 500. And so what we call Timit is a categorization that is widely used in the 1990s and early 2000s. So we'll watch those for you. And if things change, we'll let you know. But uh, we, we like the mid-caps, small caps. And as we discussed, our reasons for preferring small caps over large caps has been the valuation question. And, you know, first, the Russell mid-cap index and, and the S&P 500 mid-cap index uh, have have had exposure to cyclicals, you know, more than a lot. Okay. The other thing is, in this period, there are a lot of regional banks, right? Which is where we're going to look. So, uh, something to think about. And and uh, like I said, I think you know what you want to be doing is looking at some of these uh, tech names and and saying, hey, you know, uh, what do we do here? You know, do we stay or do we go? And uh, look, I, I'm not sure, but I would suggest that there's a uh, some opportunities uh, still in the value area. So stay with value as long as you possibly, and uh, we'll go from there. Um, in the meantime, um, we're probably going to take a break here. <laughs> I don't know. I, I haven't heard my technician. Uh, one minute. Okay. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to come back and, and we're going to talk about uh, electric vehicles and, you know, and uh, we're not going to mention any names here. We're just going to talk about electric vehicles in general and, you know, where we think uh, or what's happening there. And uh, it's kind of an inner story. So stay tuned for that. And once again, it's a live show. So uh, if you have a question, the number here is 216-901-0945. That's 216-901-0945. We'll be right back. This is the Smart Investor Show. Okay, we're back. Uh, just tuned in. This is Smart Investor Show. And, you know, we we had an interesting conversation with Joe Stack, uh, our auto parts analyst, and uh, a good one, by the way. Probably uh, he's been in the top three for a really long time, uh, <laughs> like m- multiple years, which you do in any, in any uh, category because they're always a young hotshot somewhere or another. But Joe is level-headed. He gets it. Uh, but anyway, we, we had to talk about electric vehicles and, and, and cars in general, by the way. And what's interesting is inventories are really still very, very lean cars and, uh, and trucks. And so what you're seeing, uh, the, I think the first thing about it is that's interesting. The price, uh, well, actually, I should say, uh, you know, Europe is starting to help a little bit because they're really getting into the EVs. But where they used to give incentives as, as a percentage of every one of the cars they sold, the percentages used to be like 12% of the price down to less than nine. Uh, so you're seeing the inventory problems that are occurring. And also European regulations and registrations, by the way, are, uh, are down for obvious reasons. But the regulations helping electrify 
the auto industry in a big way, by the way. Uh, and China is, are very, very solid. Uh, they actually had a faster than recover, uh, expected recovery. So their trends are very solid, too. And if, if you look at the current uh, outlook for production, you got to closely monitor the semiconductor shortage. There is a semiconductor shortage that is, and these semiconductors are the types that go into cars, whether they're electric or whatever. So th- that could be a big, big problem, uh, especially if the if the market. I know my car's old, and I uh, haven't even bothered to. I think I've only driven it like three times in, in three months. So, uh, you know. There'll be people buying new cars coming up, but I think the other part is if you look at the commodity index for the automobiles, and RBC has we our own, by the way, uh, that Joe Joe put together. It's up fifty percent, fifty six percent year over year. It's twenty twenty low, so that's a big big thing. And and copper is plus eighty eight percent. You know we've talked about copper on this show numerous times. So if you look. You know, just some names out there. I'm not recommending any of these names, but, you know, raw materials, Autolive, 25% of sales. Appy uh, buys a billion dollars of copper every year. Axle buys 500,000 tons of steel annually. Lear buys 3 billion tons of steel and 170 million pounds of copper annually. All right. So these are, these are big negative impacts for the OEMs. Uh, whether they're parts manufacturers or whether they're, you know, actually doing the electrical vehicles thing. So, you know, we looked through the forecast uh, through 2050 uh, summary and, you know, a lot of GM thinks they're going to be 100 percent electric cars. Now, right now we don't have the infrastructure, but, you know, you got to understand, like, been up electrification uh, investments, you know, GM spending 27 billion over the next five years. Uh, and they're they're looking at inventory, uh, you know, uh, opportunities to insource these products. All right, so that, that's another thing. Also, there's going to be an increased focus on software. What I want in a car and what my son want, wants in a car are totally different. All right, so the new generations coming up want different stuff. So you're going to see software spent. For example, v, uh, VW is spending like twenty seven billion dollars on software. Some of it's for audiovisuals, that type of thing, uh, and then we go. There's also risk of less, uh, of ri- I'm sorry, risk of more competition. I think there's going to be a lot more competition coming up in the electric vehicle because they're easier to make. Uh, there's just not as many parts and that type of thing. So, so how does this transition impact the margin and, and gross margins is going to be really interesting, I think. Uh, so, I, I think there'll, there'll be a couple things. There'll be some outgrowth opportunities from these. There's going to be some impacts on the on the EVs on existing business. There's going to be some risk of insourcing. There's going to be risk of new competition, and and I guess how do you transition the impact on your gross margins? And so, electrification transition means a big change for suppliers. All right. So uh, we have okay. Put them on. We've got a caller. Hello, caller. Hey, uh, uh, Tim. My name's John, and I'm a uh, big fan of your show. A couple of things um, you're uh, uh, you're just talking about. So, one, do you think like with the EV plays? Is it? Are you looking at um, 
any uh, like a, the, the, net, the, the the raw materials like lithium or, or graphite, and how that how you know prices are going could go up with the EV thing, and how to, that'll impact the stocks. And then second, you're talking about the value and growth. And, you know, and I was um, I was looking at stocks like Macy's. I was in Macy's for a while, and and I'm looking at now the RSIs are are very high on a lot of the the value plays, and a lot of the RSIs on the the uh, the growth stuff is has gone down. I mean, it's even like 32, and versus the RSI on some of the the uh, value is up at 73, 74, which it seems to be overbought. Do you see a short term? Uh, rotation back to uh, to growth because of the the RSI is so low on on the, the growth stocks versus so high on on the the value. Well, first of all, as far as uh, lithium, there's several good plays in that area, and that's uh, I actually own one of the plays in a big way. Uh, and I'm not going to mention the name, but uh, you know you can do your own. As far as uh, the the batteries, there's there's a company out there that's looking at solid state batteries. And that could be a huge winner, uh, but you got to kind of wait on that one, I think. Uh, as far as value versus growth, the initial move in value has come. Now, a little bit. Uh, I'm not that good, John, okay? Uh, but remember, sometimes the initial move over 70 and 80 in relative strength usually lasts for pretty okay? Now, what I think may happen is that we have a, a good – positive uh, market, you know, maybe till August, and then we have a correction spurt. And we might have the growth stocks back to a level where it might be important to buy them. But remember, you know, stuff like uh, Apple, you know, Apple was always key times earnings when it made its big run, okay? It's way over there now. So yeah, I think some of these things need, need to just pull back a little bit, that's all. Uh, yeah. They're not, they're not sales. I, I mean, if you own them, if you've owned them for years, and I, and I have... Uh, they're not sales. They're just not buys yet. Okay. But you're thinking more intermediate and long term, rather than short term. Yeah, uh, exactly. But look, value has underperformed growth now for seven years. So don't just think that a two month move is over. It's over. <laughs> yeah. Because it isn't. You know. I, look, as I said a couple weeks ago, when I, like I got my first shot. Okay. Uh, so, want to get them some people you know but i have grandchildren so two of them uh really young for that but what are you gonna do uh the point is it, once people start getting their shots and this thing starts to go away it's going to be like woodstock you know i told my wife i said uh you know as soon as we get our second shot we're going out to dinner 20 nights in a row because i'm yeah. tired of staring at my you know four walls of my house okay so it's going to be different and that a lot of those people a lot of those things that we're so they'll get garner a higher multiple. And remember what I said back in January. Value stocks, stock, IPE multiples, that's when you buy them. When they go down and they're, and they're low, that's when you worry. Yeah. They're not low yet. So, so you're not thinking about, for, 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 so for a short, you're not thinking of a, in terms of a short-term balance. Because I'm looking at, like, I, I, I'm kind of, it's shocking to see, like, RSI on, like, a AMD or some of these, you know, Tech stocks are so low at this point. It seems like they're they're due for some short term bounce at least. Well, I, you know, I'm going to this next uh, part of the show. So uh, the the NDX got down, and, and the QQQs, their bullish percent got down to 24. So they're going to bounce. The question is, you know, is it a you know, 
you got to yeah. check the the the, uh, the how the bounce occurs and how they look after the bounce. Sure. Make lower highs. You got to be careful. All right. Sure. Great. Well, I'm All just right. looking for a lower right. bounce more than anything else. So thanks a lot. I really appreciate your show. Great show. Uh, uh, so look, auto valuations are a little bit uh, stretched right here. But once I, you know, I think you also got to, you know, take a look at yield curves moving up, and that's when auto stocks move up. Remember, you want to buy autos and you want to buy the industrials when the yields, are, when their PE ratios are high. Okay, simple as that. Okay, uh, one other thing. Uh, I want to talk about was just some overall stuff that we've seen. And if I look at the momentum indicators uh, for perspective, perspective market volatility, momentum indicators such as MACD, RSI, and the Copic curve and those type of things are, are the ones I focus on. They are likely to move far in one direction or another, I think, coming up here. Kind of useful tracks. Uh, so you got to pay pretty close attention to them. And I've been noticing, like, if I look at the weekly, you know, uh, like a quad indicator, uh, it's, a, it's a momentum oscillator, okay? Uh, you know, it's it's pretty far down. And the daily is, the daily momentum things are headed out. So it's kind of, you know, which one's going to turn first, all right? Uh, so, I, I, you know, one thing I did see this week is the bullish percent turned back up. So it went from 76 down to 60 and then turned back up. And if we look, uh, you know, if I look at the S&P 500, uh, the daily momentum is kind of unwinding towards oversold areas. Uh, so, you know, you could, you could have a pop back up again, you know. And But the S&P continues to hold above its 100-day moving average, which is really good. And the advanced decline line continues to hold. So I think what we're doing is we're seeing a rotational corrections, which, you know, look, the most bullish thing the stock market can do is go up. Simple as that, okay? So... The weekly momentum indicators on the Russell have kind of turned over, but you know it's still the relative trend versus the S&P 500 remains. This value growth was so far above the uptrend line that it had to come back at least to the uptrend line, and that's where we are right now. So I think it's going to be very important to watch those. Now, now the high beta stock uh, is another area, uh, you know, I expect them to pull back. They've gone straight up, you know, we talked to versus low volatility. And, and so that's the, that's the housing stocks, the carnival cruise lines, you know, those type of things. So, um, and the other thing I know, EEM has started to give back a little bit and the momentum's turned over a little bit. Um, and you know, so I'm seeing some of that stuff, the 10 year, did break through 160, and remember I said if it broke through 160, it could probably go to 197, maybe two percent. Uh, so you know, it does look like the bond prices are at a pretty important support level, and they're pretty oversold. So that could go uh, the other way too. So uh, dollar, I think it's going to rally a little bit more, but I think it's only a bounce. So we'll, we'll keep that going as far as we can. Uh, I was going to go over some sectors, but I don't think we have time. So let's let's come back. And we'll look at the bullish percent. So stay tuned. This is the Smart Investor Show. Remember, if you got a question, 216-901-0945. 216-901-0945. Stay tuned. Okay, we're back. So Tom Petty, uh, get you started. 
You know, so, uh, you know, we, we talk about the bullish percent on the show, and this week we had something unusual happen. So this is the second time this has occurred in two months. So, you know, we got to 76 on the bullish percent, which is kind of the red zone. I'm going to talk about that to explain that in a second. And then we went down to 60, and then we reversed back up, and we went to 76 again and reversed back down. And now we've reversed back up. Uh, we did what is known as a bearish signal reversal on, I think it was uh, Wednesday at 3 o'clock. <laughs> so uh, that's positive, but uh, we're, the field position is not the greatest. Okay, so let's talk about the bullish percent. This was designed by Charles Dow protege, Ernie Staby, back, I, I think it was in the 30s. What he wanted to do is be bullish at the, at the bottom and bearish at the top. And he also wanted to know, he, he wanted a risk uh, a, a risk monitor, shall we say. So he invented the bullish percent, and it works. Okay, not perfect. Okay, but it works. It's what I like about it is not subjective at all. It isn't a strategist telling you what he thinks and being wrong. It's totally objective. When things change, they change. There's nothing you can do about it. Hey, I don't like getting on and saying, "Hey, for the third time, we have a change in the bullish percent." It makes me look kind of weird. Okay, kind of like a, a bonehead. Uh, but that's what it does. It's objective. No comments, no questions. It turned up. Offensive teams back on the field. Simple as that. All right. So, but it starts, it, it goes from zero to 100. Column of X means you have the offensive team on the field, which is back on the field at 66 this week. Okay. A column of O's says there's distribution. Distribution, and by the way, distribution happens a lot faster than accumulation. Simple as that. When you get over 70, that's the red zone. That's when things are too hot to handle. Everybody's talking about their portfolio. I get invited to parties. People open their 401k statements, okay? Uh, we're at 66 right now. Not exactly placed, you know. Uh, below 30 is the green zone. That's where nobody opens their 401ks. I, I won't see a party for two years after that. And, you know, everybody's crying in their beer. So here we are, reversing back up at 66. What would Tim Hayes I would suggest that you hand the ball off to your fullback. You don't want to throw the long pass. As John was talking about earlier, he said, and some of the, the, the technology stocks. Well, the NDX and the QQQs, which are two other indexes that are highly, you know, uh, got a lot of technology and a lot of high flyers, went from 70. Eight, all the way down to 27 in 10 trading days. So if you don't think that, you know, everybody saw the Dow and they're saying, hey, Tim's crazy. But let me tell you, I know of 150 stocks in the technology area that were down between 35 and 45% in 10 trading days. So if you don't think that's risk, I don't know what you're talking about. But anyway, they went down to 24 and they reversed back up. And it looks like they're above 30 again in a column of X's. So the bullish percent for the New York Stock Exchange is now at 66. Simple as that. The bullish percent for the over-the-counter index, which turned up too, turned into a column of X's, is one is 51. Uh, you know, if you look, you know, it's kind of funny. I, I believe Friday was the 66. Second anniversary of the launch of the Barbie doll by Mattel, and I thought it was interesting that Mattel broke a double top this week because of that. But anyway, look if you look at this, we're we were in a column of O's, 
last week, and we went from we were at sixty, and we blew right through to sixty six. And on uh, Thursday afternoon at three thirty, we turned the corner. The over the counter index hit fifty one, and I I think there I think it has to hit fifty two. Yeah, in a column of X's, so I made it overspoke earlier. Uh, World index is still in the column of O's, so it, it was kind of uh, it was a lot of downward pressure on the major bullish percents this week, but just the one turned up because of some of those tech stocks that we talked about earlier. So, uh, you know, the question is, are they finished going down? And I, uh, I don't think that move is over. So I'll say. Um, but, you know, I looked at the positive trend indicator. It reversed into a column of O's last week. Uh, you know, it still remains above the 50% level when it's heavy. If it goes from above 50 to below 50, usually you got to be careful. Um, but the style and size rankings changed. Large cap values at the bottom still. Large cap blend is right behind it. Large cap last. The top three are small cap growth. Small cap value and small cap blend. Isn't that interesting? So uh, large cap in the best performing style box in five of the past six years. So this is a big change. And if you look on a graph, small caps have overtaken large caps uh, in the dynamic asset level tally history, which is very positive. By the way, the dynamic asset level investing and the bullish percent is brought to us by our friends Dorsey Wright. Uh, is now part of the, the NASDAQ. Uh, great people. Uh, Tom Dorsey and Watson Wright, great people. So I looked at most of the indexes, and, and you know, the Dow has been positive for a couple weeks. But the, uh, the emerging markets have been negative uh, for a pretty long time. What's interesting is the Morgan Stanley Corporate Index, which is the larger names, has been negative momentum for 12 weeks. Yet there's quite a few that are going up in that area. Uh, the small caps and the mid caps have been negative, yet there's quite a few stocks going up in that area. The you know uh, we the, the one thing that's interesting is the is the uh, S and P 500 equal weight index has been positive for two weeks has now gone into a column of X's versus the S and P 500 market capitalization weighted so if you can change that in your in your 401k I think you'll be much happier uh, that usually lasts for a while uh, the best performing fund was the ICAPS. and uh, the laggard was the QQQs which lost two percent last week by the way. Um, but has now turned up, you know, so uh, that's interesting. And, and, but, uh, you know, when, when you look at the equal weight versus the market capitalization weight, the switching strategy has worked phenomenally for my clients uh, who have been able to do it. Uh, so there we go. All right. Anyway, uh, I looked at the, uh, the number of positive sectors, and we now have just 20, okay, so a lot of sectors have gone negative, but the good news is we we're all to the right on our S curve here. Now we're we're starting to see a lot of stocks or a lot of groups below, but banking is still at at ninety. Okay, savings and loans eighty four. These are favored sectors. I would wait on these things. Okay, forest and paper products, steel and building materials are at seventy six. I'd still wait on that. Machinery, transportation, oil, oil services, textiles, restaurants are at 70. So, John, if you're still listening, you're right. These things are overbought short term, so they need to come back a little bit. Space and chemicals are at 64. Uh, gas utilities, business products, leisure, and food are at 60. Uh, non ferrous metals and financials are at uh, 54. 
that's getting to a place where you can start to pay attention. And then the one, there's one below 30 that just turned favored, and that's semiconductors. So, John, me, does that name you? You know, I don't, that's not my favorite, but uh, I have a couple favorites in the semiconductor area, but I'm not going to go there. Um, so, uh, changes in what went positive this week. So, let's, let's review that real quick because that's, uh, it, there's, you know, it was a lot of moving up and down. So, what went unfavored, which is interesting, because they're cheap and they're winning the day. J&J, Pfizer, you know, these, these are all Merck, Lilly, all doing good things. And then to the you know, step above them, but still in favor, biotech, software, Wall Street, Internet, uh, health care, telecommunications, and autos all went unfavored. Now, a bunch of stocks went from favored to average. That was computers, retail, uh, gaming, housing, and media. And then just the favored, some very favored were semi, financials, non-ferrous metals, business products, and machinery. And so we didn't have anything move up. <laughs> so even though the market was up Thursday and Friday, we didn't have anything move up. But uh, I did notice that uh, the EEM has uh, now got an, a score of, of uh, 143. And I looked at a couple other, you know, the EFA, which is the Morgan Stanley Corporate Index, has kept a positive score direction through this whole thing. So during the 12 weeks, it's been negative momentum. It's still up there. And uh, I thought I, I saw three, Norway, and, and well, Australia and Norway, we'll just go with those, okay? They, they had positive momentum or negative momentum, but kept a positive uh, direction. So that's, you know, it's kind of complicated, but that's that's good. So you want to pay uh, very much atten uh, attention to Australia and Norway. The improvement's been especially interesting, I think, uh, in my humble opinion. So, um, you know, you, you got to go where the, the money's flowing. So the 10-year Treasury yield index gave its eighth consecutive buy signal at 1.625. So we've gone from 1% just six months ago, um, three months ago. Uh, and, you know, so... Now we've broken through that, by the way, that's kind of broken a little bit of a short-term downtrend line. It looks like we go to about 1.9 to 2%. Remember, this is going back into the consolidation that we were in for four years before that. So we're, we're just getting back to normal. Uh, the senior loan area, interesting. You know, there's a couple of ETFs out there. You know, the, the ones I saw that uh, in, the, in the fixed income area, where the preferred stock offerings, I, I'd actually rather buy the preferreds because uh, uh, you can you can make money on those if you do it right. Uh, some of the international government inflation protected, and then the the senior loans and uh, convertibles are still number one. Okay, so there we go. Crude oil's been positive for six weeks. Gold's been negative for eight weeks. Uh, you know, I guess they're just using Bitcoin instead of gold. And copper's been positive for four weeks again. That, you know, that went on a tear earlier. Uh, in the year, uh, earlier in last year. Um, you know, I keep seeing the dollar, and, and the dollar uh, broke a double top here just recently, uh, but it's still way below it. You know, it's almost uh, four spots below its uh, up, a downtrend line. So it's still in a downtrend. It's just having a technical record. Housing starts broke out, broke a double top this week, which is kind of interesting because mortgage rates broke a double top. So more, mortgage rates are rising. Yet housing starts climbing big. Uh, one of the things that you got to remember 
one of the things you guys got to remember is that uh, uh, interest rates going up and oil go up slows down the economy. Relative strength, Cullen Frost, remember, relative strength, very important. And if it's buy signal, it can last for years. Charles River Associates, uh, Franklin Street Properties, Resources, Colfax, Bank of Commerce, First Business Financial, uh, Preferred Apartments, Marcus Corp, Provident Financial Services, Indep- Bank Corp, Riverview Bank Corp, Sandex International, Johnson Controls, Unum, Urban Alphasers, and U.S. Concrete, Second Site Medical Products, Kemp Farm, Rock, MSG Networks, and Key Energy Services. All right. Uh, I didn't have too many cell signals, so we're not, nothing real big anyway. So uh, we'll, we'll take a break here and be right back with Insiders. So stay tuned. This is Smart Investor Show. Remember, it's live. 216-901-0945. 216-901-0945. Stay tuned. Okay, we're back. If you just tuned in, uh, uh, this is Smart Investor Show on Tim Hayes. And, uh, you know, we always talk about insiders. So what we is we started out with this big thing called the economy, and we worked our way to relative strength buys. Okay? Now we're going to talk about insiders because insiders know they're coming than you and I. It's that simple. Enough said. What I want to see is the big buyers. I don't want to see a guy buying a thousand shares. Well, that may, you know, that may kick us off or, or, or show, show us a, a good move once in a while. But it's the big, big guys I want to know about because that's really the smart money. Follow the money, folks. That's what we're doing. Follow the money. That's what trend following is too, by the way. So um, we, we remember, there are always are uh, although sometimes they're not really that early, <laughs> I've seen them buy some stocks and two weeks later they get taken over, you know, that type of thing, but they're early, okay? And what we want to see is multiple buys, and we'll just uh, leave it at that. Um, CF Financial Acquisition Corp which, uh, went from, came out at uh, 10, went up to 13, now below 10. I noticed that CF Financial Holdings, which was a former 10% owner, $50 million worth. And here's uh, interesting. Uh, the executive ca- uh, chairman, Keith uh, Murdoch at News Corp, uh, bought 500,000 shares of $12 million worth just recently. That's a pretty big buy. And then also Penny Mac Financial, another financial stock. We had uh, MFN Partners, which has got a pretty good size amount of the stock, by $6.3 million. We also had a director by uh, $6.3 so that's, you know, you always like seeing that. Now, there's a couple more uh, penny stock. I just got to, um, yeah, uh, yeah there's, there's two more penny stock buyers. So uh, we're seeing quite a few people pay attention here. Uh, so we also had MFN partners buy $7.7 million, uh, the week before, don't forget. And then they, uh, Mr. Nanji uh, bought $7.7 million the week before. So, uh some things you should be paying attention to, I guess. Also, we had uh, uh, 12C Investment Corp. This is another one of those SPACs where uh, we had the CEO buy $600,000 worth of stock or $6 million. Pharmaceuticals. Now, this one's been beat up pretty bad, and our analyst has liked it uh, in the past. I don't know if he still does, but 
a director bought 147,000 shares, which is 3.1 million. And then also the PIMCO Energy and Tactical Credit Opportunities Trust, the the, the manager uh, bought 287,000 shares, which is 2.9 million. And then Dropbox, which has been a, I mean, a dud since its uh, new issue, uh, they had a direct ILUD. There's a 2.4 million. You know, gentlemen from uh, by Intercept, uh, another 90,000. So we're starting to see some of these mo- the money come into these biotechs. Ironwood Pharmaceuticals, another biotech. We had uh, a director, Alexander Denner, and he smart money, by the way, uh, about 150,000 shares worth. And DoorDash, uh, which was, you know, a, a real hot new issue and it's kind of cooled off. Uh, I know which is GIC Private Limited. It's actually a director who, that's where he puts his money. Uh, he bought uh, 11,000 shares for $1.1 million. And Opco, Philip Frost is at it again. He bought another 300,000 shares for $1.1 million. And here's a local company, Parker Hannafin uh, Corporation. We had a director, Lance Fritz, uh, buy three, three, uh, 3,900 shares, which is $1.1 million. It's a high-priced stock. And this is a, a name that we like, uh, um, 80 the president and CEO bought 143,000 shares or 1.1 million. And here's something. Uh, Emma Wamsley, who's a brand-new director at Microsoft, bought $1 million worth. And then Kenny Wilson, which is real estate, because we're starting to see some real estate directors. Uh, Stanley Zach bought 50,000 shares at a million bucks. Walmart. Randall Stevenson, the former CEO of AT&T, just bought a uh, million dollars worth. So, now, we also had Roth's Roth Acquisition Group, and we had a lot of buyers here. Uh, uh, the co-executive chief uh, bought $870,000. Uh, his partner in crime did eight hundred forty. Another gentleman bought another eight hundred forty. dollars uh, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, the, the one guy made two. Uh, Brian Roth, who's the, the uh, partner in crime, bought another 557000 so these guys bought quite a bit of stock, and uh, you, you like to see that. Uh, but that's one of those what they call SPACs, special acquisition uh, type scenarios. So there, there's quite a few buyers in there. And uh, then we had uh, Cerner Corp, which is Health Information. They bought. Uh, we had three guys buy uh, approximately uh, two hundred fifty, three hundred thousand dollars worth, and then we had three more buy uh, one hundred fifty. Uh, thousand dollars worth just a week ago oh by the way i'm sorry we had two two other guys uh, by uh, uh roth acquisition so seems that they're they're quite a bit you know there's a lot of buying in that so i don't know you never know what they're going to be until they company and that's the problem uh you got to kind of guess and uh <laughs> uh or you just buy the management you know the management is uh, kind of important i did uh, uh there, there's a company called gaia which is in the internet content and at a new high, we had two or three buyers uh, of the $250,000, $300,000 worth. So I just mentioned that simply because it, it is at a new high, all right? Uh, so something to think about. Now, look, um, I, I was I was looking at some things, uh, you know, some technical stuff. And I, I always talk to my clients, when we buy a small cap stock, we start out as – but sometimes – you know, trades turn into investments. Uh, you know, I talked to a lot of my clients about Square several years ago, and that many nobody 
no, none of my new clients bought it. All my clients have been around for 15 years, bought it up, you know, and it's gone bazangos. Okay. So it started out as a trade. It turned out into an investment. Uh, so I think, you know, if you look at different investment horizons, you've got to think about this. If you're short term, you're, you're looking, you know, to take a 25% profit as soon as possible. Tactical means you're more of a medium term person and investing long-term is, you know, you look turnover. Now, like I said, sometimes one turns into the other. So just remember that. But, you know, I was looking at some of the uh, uh, different groups and, you know, technology is now kind of an established down group, okay? Consumer discretionary, which had been leading the way, has kind of turned, you know, it's, it's, I don't think it's anything to worry about in that particular case, but for some reason, consumer staples and utility sectors are starting to turn up. And I, I don't, you know, I don't know why. Uh, maybe, like I said, you know, when interest rates go up and oil goes up, um, usually that slows the economy down. So maybe that's the problem. But I have noticed that financials, materials, and industrial in a positive way, and energy's led the way. And, you know, we kind of said that. Uh, and by the way, guys like Tom Lee have said it. Uh, Lori Cal- Calvacina has said it. You know, they were betting on energy and financials at the beginning of the year. Okay, so those have uh, been relative output. So you got to remember that. So, you know, I, I think, um, you know, I, I was looking over our our best ideas list, and um, it's amazing how many are in established out outperformance. Uh, and it's amazing how a couple have just started to to leak over. Uh, some in the in the healthcare area, by the way. I'm not sure why that would be, uh, other than you know maybe they don't, uh, you know they're not, uh, you know as enthusiastic about healthcare because uh, of Biden. Maybe he's I don't know. Maybe he signed something. I don't know. I know that uh, this new uh, package, the 1.9 billion dollars in, in the package. Uh, uh, Trillion, I'm sorry. It was like the Democratic West wish list. All the stuff they ever wanted for is in that package. And I thought it was interesting. The New York Times this week said, you know, it, uh, it's it's been proven now. Small government does not work. <laughs> uh, large government has has surprised on this time around. And I'm totally against that. But, uh, you know, um, everybody's you know, now pro large government where well, they're going to get it. Let me tell you, uh, 1.9 trillion. I mean, we've added, uh, almost five, $6 trillion to the, uh, deficit in one year. Um, and they're talking about another 2 trillion for the, uh, uh, you know, the infrastructure bill. So, you know, that, that'll slow down the economy going forward. But, uh, I did notice, you know, I think the biggest thing I've seen this week is we now have, uh, you know, a higher interest rate and a higher oil price. And trust me, that will slow down the economy, I think, sometime. But I'm, I'm seeing staples. Uh, I got some names that uh, I mentioned to a few people this week that are starting to turn. Uh, what's interesting is I noticed some of the big uh, financial financials turn up, too. So, hey, in the meantime, go to WHK14. Uh, go to local podcast. You know that's their webpage, by the way. 
go to local podcast down to Smart Investor Show and Tim Hayes. There you can go directly to my webpage. Please visit the Insight banner. There's a lot of good stuff on there again this week. They're talking about the Fed. They're talking about the markets. There's a couple golf tips. But we do have the dividend, the prime income list, the small cap list, the Savvy Credit Investors Workbook, the the uh, Business uh, uh, Owner's Guide to, to Transition, the Wealth Plan. They're all available to you. Uh, the Family Inventory Workbook, all available. Uh, I, I like our multi-cap uh, extremely well, and it's got a lot of different names, a lot of different categories. So they're all available to you. Uh, in the meantime, have a great week. This is Tim Hayes uh, and the Smart Investor Show. Remember to buy low and sell high. Thanks for listening to the Smart Investor Hour. To reach Tim during the week, call him toll-free, 888-223-7742. That's 888-223-7742. Or visit his website, rbcwmfa.com slash Tim Hayes. That's all one word in the address bar, rbcwfma.com slash Tim Hayes. Please join us again next Saturday for the Smart Investor Hour to hear more smart investing from Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. The preceding program's views, claims, or representations may not reflect those of AM 1420 The Answer or Salem Media Group. From the golden age of television and radio and everything Hollywood, right up to today's headlines, it's Hollywood 360, Sundays from 1 to 5 a.m. with host Carl Amari on AM 1420, The Answer. This is AM 1420, The Answer, WHK, W273DG, Cleveland, a service of Salem Media Group. With SRN News, I'm Bob Agnew in Washington. Commercial air travel appears to be on the upswing despite the coronavirus. The U.S. Transportation Security Administration says its agents screened more than 1.3 million passengers at airport security checkpoints nationwide. Yesterday, the first time that's happened.